Welcome to the Access Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Access Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for the Access Effect. And I'm super excited to have Gareth Evans, CEO of Vecta, on our show today to talk all about energy sources. Okay, Gareth, did I get that right? Energy sources? No. Yeah, we're supporting businesses around the world with the energy transition. Yeah. The environmental energy, it all goes hand in hand. It's so good to have you on the show. I felt bad I kept having to reschedule, but like this, this actually pretty badass and impressive what you're doing. I know we chatted a little bit. I've done the research of, you know, on the energy conversions and stuff, but give me a really good rundown of what Vecta does. Yeah. So at the, in the simplest language, we're supporting businesses around the world to really accelerate their energy transition and get the best return on investment for doing so. And we believe that sustainability should not come at the expense of profitability. And so we want to drive right. both of those things together. But there's lots of options. So we support customers to know where to start, who to turn to, and what the best options are for them to really uh, accelerate their their business success. Okay, can you break this down for me? We're transitioning energy. I, I, I love that you said we're not sacrificing sustainability for profits. I mean, we've everybody's kind of shifted over the years. You know, everything was for a profit. Now it's like we got to look at sustainability. I think everybody is a little bit more in tune to more sustainability than ever before, especially with energy transitions. But how exactly does this work? So is this for business owners and leaders? You know, I know you have um, emissions and we're lowering the footprints and reducing the cost for all of this. Is it really to make better investments into energy transition or is it really more how do we turn and transition energy into like, you know, financials like you with the the windmills and everything that we're doing to keep it more sustainable and lower cost in general to power stuff up. In general, the way I'd uh, summarize the state of play is up until now, we've all like energy is the lifeblood of everything, our economies, our businesses. Without it, we can't operate. Our societies grind to a halt. And so energy has become very acutely aware to people in recent so in recent times with increasing power outages, whether that's in Texas because of the winter storm, whether it's in California because of the wildfires, whether it's in Europe because of lack of gas because of the Ukraine conflict. And so power security is a concern. Power costs are going up primarily because the infrastructure that we all receive our energy through, big power plants, long transmission lines, all this infrastructure is aging. And so it's becoming harder to maintain, more expensive to maintain. And so these costs are being passed on to us, the consumers and the ratepayers. And so costs are going up quite dramatically. And then in parallel to all of that, there's obviously now a, an expectation, a social and a capital market pressure to reduce our emissions and make sure that we have sustainable businesses, sustainable communities, sustainable society. And so these are the three pain points that businesses need to be thinking about. How do we manage our costs? How do we ensure that power stays on? And how do we ensure we do all of that in the cleanest way possible? And so what we do as the enabling technology platform is we support business leaders to assess what are my options and how can I execute that in the most streamlined way possible? Because most of us have never, ever had to think about energy. We flick on a switch, the lights come on, business runs, 
And so it's a, it's a new paradigm and it can feel complex and overwhelming. So we're trying to really support business leaders to get the data they need, the insights, the intelligence, access to the right suppliers in the market to support them to build energy solutions that match their business needs. And I think to your point before, whether that's solar or wind, we specialize in what's called on-site energy systems. So generating and storing energy right at the business location versus relying on a utility or someone providing energy to you. But if it's of clean on-site energy, and I know you have a few different industries you work with. Talk to me about this going to kind of pick on the mining industry, because I I just got back from Peru and I was meeting with the mine owners trying to figure out how to help these guys put different newer equipment that functions based on water and electricity, not all the chemicals that they need to blow up these mines that creates cancer and all the gas issues. Talk to me about how this works in the mining industry, because I know that's a big issue right now economically, globally, environmentally, with these mines trying to source out minerals. And I know we saw a huge thing in the New York Times on El Salvador, where they you know, they were trying to come in a long time ago. The British embassy, everybody was trying to come in. I think the, London was trying to get in. The British was trying to get in to say, hey, look, use our equipment. The environmental group over Great Britain, use it. Let us, you know, you have a lot of oil there, very rich oil. And they're like, no, because our tribes and our land and our rainforest sit on top of that. And now because they are broke and because the country's suffering, they're now considering to let these big companies drill into there. But it's like at what cost? Because then you're tearing down trees, you're ruining the environment. You have all the carbon neutral stuff. You got to deal with that stuff. You got the people, the agriculture, there's so much there. And now Salvador is is now considering how do we do this? Because these money companies are now placing some stake in there because it's they've never let anybody drill. But I mean, so I, you know, I know those issues there. I know what I saw in Peru with they're not having any of the new equipment that just functions on water that's clean. Are you targeting the companies in mining that are not using clean energy and not doing sustainable mining? Or is this just an add-on to those already adopting to a cleaner way to mine without ruining the environment? Yeah, one of the big reasons why we support mining companies is because the energy transition cannot happen without a mining transition. You know, we need a huge amount of precious minerals, metals yeah. in order to develop the assets that we need for batteries, for solar panels, for wind turbines, for electric vehicles. And so we need to support mining companies to do that in the most sustainable and responsible way. Because of the remote nature of mines, the status quo solution has been to build diesel generators. And two, and that creates a huge amount of problems. One, logistics of getting diesel to these remote locations. Two, the diesel generators are, they are not clean. And so now miners are facing real problems because one, the social license to operate. Two, the capital markets won't fund their assets unless they show that they've got a sustainable strategy to, to mine these assets in a really responsible way. And so what we support them to do is assess for their mine site configuration, for the way they use energy, what would be the optimal way to generate that energy? And we look at all technologies, solar, wind, storage, gas, diesel, electric fuel cells. So we can look at all those different solutions and help them size which which one would make the most sense for them. And so there's there's no silver bullet to this. You know, every site is different. Logistically, they all have their own challenges. And so there's a lot of factors that go into this. And um, trying to figure it out 
on the back of a spreadsheet or a back of an envelope doesn't work. And so we want to bring a very methodical science-based approach to ensuring yeah. we do this really effectively. Interesting. And then you also guys work with food and beverage. And yeah. I, I just talk about that. I'm like, you're developing on-site energy in the most cost-effective way for these guys. Yeah. Walk me through that process. How are you um, developing on-site energies? It's the manufacturers. I mean, it's obviously not the restaurants. I'm assuming it's the manufacturing side of F&B, right? It actually ranges from, you know, your local microbrewery right through to your cold chain logistics provider to then, to your point, the manufacturing facilities and food and beverage in particular, they, you know, they have fairly lean margins. So any cost savings are a huge benefit. They've got perishable products, so you can't afford to lose the power and lose your product. And then because we as consumers are demanding more sustainable products, they have to be able to go on this journey. And so, yeah, we're actually helping a fairly major winery right now in California. And um, one, they want to be as clean as possible. But two, they've seen their energy bills in the last year go from $800,000 a year to $1.2 million a year. And so suddenly you've got an extra 400 grams worth of cost that you didn't account for. And these rates are going up year on year. And so for businesses, it's just eroding their margins. And so this is the opportunity for businesses like the winery uh, to be able to achieve a lot of objectives. Is this like to kind of incorporate and talk about, you know, lowering the carbon, the footprints, carbon output. I know there's input output. I know all of these basics. I know it's the solar panels. I know there's so much that go into the energy sources. Is this really implementing panels, other natural energy sources to ease the cost of electricity? So it is more sustainable, like through power outages and just give me just in general, like you said, it's eroding their profit with these high electricity bills. And there's, and like, there's no good way around that. I mean, they're always saying solar panels, you know, put solar panels on the roof and all that stuff. But I feel like people aren't really adopting to it or it's just because it's more of an education to how to make that work for you to live more sustainable. Yeah. I'd say that is the biggest opportunity and challenge for businesses like ourselves is, you know, we talked about before, Businesses have never had to think about this. You know, they've had access to reasonably affordable, reasonably reliable power, and it's never really crossed their minds. And now that that's changing, education is a really big opportunity. And I'd say you're spot on. One of the biggest misconceptions is if I put solar on my property, I'm cleaner, I'm cheaper, I'm more reliable. But actually, you know, solar alone, you're generating energy when the grid itself is at its cleanest. Yeah. And your rates are at their cheapest. And if the power goes off, even if you have solar panels, you also have to cut off that power unless you have a way of storing it. And so that's what we really support businesses to look at is what other technologies should you be combining solar with to achieve your desired objective? And whether it's cost, whether it's emissions, it's a very different system. And so, yeah, we're seeing, particularly in the likes of California, they've changed the rules recently. So you're not now not compensated for selling solar back to the grid as you previously were. But if you can store it in a battery and then sell it back to the grid when the grid really wants it, you get paid a really nice premium. So that it creates- wait, so, wait, so California changed it where I knew they were paying people and all the tax breaks to go solar, to get the solar panels up and cut electricity. I mean, the grid is so bad. When I was in LA, because I lived there for like 20 years till recently, yep. power always went out of my neighborhood because yep. the grid was so congested and it was so much, and mainly in the summer when it was hot, people were just yep. running AC up and it was so much stress 
and tension on the grid. We were constantly going down or transformers were blowing. So yep. they were. So I get the whole, hey, get off the grid, literally, figuratively, and put solar panels up so you're not relying on the grid to ease it to stream. But there's always a tax break and, it, you know, and some kind of benefit. You're saying they stopped doing that? So there's a few things that have happened. One is in California, they changed what's called the net metering rules. So under net metering two, you'd be compensated quite nicely for if you overproduce solar and you weren't using it, you could sell it back to the grid at a reasonable price. Yeah. They've now changed that such that you barely get compensated for that. But if you can store it and sell it you know, in peak hours when the sun's gone down, you get paid very nicely for that. So solar alone doesn't like pencil. It, it sounds like a very intense engineering science project. Like yeah, yeah. How do you store it? Do I just put it like rainwater into a little cup? Do I just <laughs> put a little bucket out there, a battery attached to it? It just sounds so complicated. And that's what we want to simplify is, you know, for the everyday business leader, it feels complicated. And as such, it leads to indecision and inaction. Meanwhile, the costs keep going up and the reliability keeps going down. And yeah. you know, it's kind yeah, of but, that. But you're a B2B play. You're not a B2C play for all these millions yeah. of people who need to, which, and there should be a more education on that. Do you think yeah. it's, I mean, I know it's California, but I lived there for a long time. So, and I'm back and forth a lot. So, I mean, I know the politics there, but I would, I feel, let's look at like Arizona, Las Vegas, Texas. Let's look at the sun states. Well, there's yep. so much sun and power. There's so much solar power because we don't have the cloud, the fog. I, and I would think that there'd be more education and more innovation into the solar, into our future of innovation and solar in more states that are kind of on the sun belt than on the coast. And I'm just curious, why is it politics? Is it just like education? Is it more to it than kind of what I'm thinking right now that why aren't people adapting more to this energy transition than they are, at least in the states where they don't have, I don't know, we all have political issues, but you know uh, what I'm saying? Where it's, it's sunnier, there's more power, most, more solar power. I mean, it's granted it gets cloudy, but you got a lot of sun in certain parts of the world that should be taking advantage of that. Solar even works up in New York and Massachusetts and all yeah. these well, bad weather locations. But it's a really good question, I'd say, Federally, with the Inflation Reduction Act, there's actually now really attractive incentives for businesses. So I think in the next few years, as a result of that, we're going to see a lot more people want to invest in these solutions because yeah. they're going to get such massive tax incentives as a result. But I'd say one of the biggest challenges here is actually the red tape associated with deploying these systems. During the likes of Australia, at a residential level, there's up to 25% adoption now across for solar. And in the likes of California, that has the highest penetration in the US, it's still less than 10%. And a yeah. lot of that is to do with the building codes, the permitting, the red tape, and really, you know, the utilities monopolize the market. And so they do everything in their power to try and keep you buying power from them versus generating your own. So there's lots of mechanics there to try and uh, limit the growth. They are some of the challenges, but it also creates massive. I saw I saw this great thing. So I was watching it was on Netflix. It's with Zach Efron. It's yeah. he's going around the globe. I'm talking about sustainability, carbon footprints, neutrality, and all this stuff. And one of the episodes he was on that I loved was in New Zealand with the uh, mayor or the president of New Zealand. She's a female. And the whole episode was on 
turning New Zealand into a self-sustainable country and that they're ranked as the number one country to use solar and that's sustainable. You're not talking about that show. Oh my God, I need to figure out this show on Netflix. But you yeah, know what yeah. I'm talking about with Zach Efron? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And uh, it's Jacinda Ardern, isn't it? The prime minister in New Zealand. It's like down to yeah. earth or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But I love the concept. And I think that's the real opportunity for, instead of us being reliant on these big centralized business models and infrastructure projects, if we generate and store energy right where it's needed in a more distributed micro way and allow the likes of you and I to share and transact energy, it becomes more circular. Yeah. It becomes more sustainable. Wait, so how long have you had this company for? I know you're the CEO and you're the founder, but how long have you been in the business for? And when did you start Vecta? Yeah, we started Vecta at the back end of 2019. We didn't know COVID was right around the yeah. corner. It's been a really exciting ride. We spent COVID kind of building out our technology product to yeah. support customers. And what we really specialize in is we built a marketplace such that business leaders can competitively source the solutions they want from our marketplace in a really transparent, competitive way. And they're not being sold to by people in the market, you know, buy my solar solution, but they don't know what questions to ask or how to qualify people or how to understand whether they're getting the best solution. So we spent the first few years building the product. And now as life's got back to normal a bit more, we're aggressively kind of scaling our marketing and sales outreach and building a business. I think that's awesome. I think a lot of people who like right before COVID, they use that time to just be smart about their R&D, to take that downtime to really sort out. It was more about not so much actively leading, but still proactively leading from behind the scenes where you are really taking that time to stand back with the world shut down, to take your time to figure out how to do this versus just, you know, as a CEO, we're all very rushed, very aggressive, get it done, get it done, get it done. But we figure, well, if we don't take the time to stand back and figure out our trajectory, we're going to lose on the market. There's our competition. The world's moving so quickly now. So I feel yeah. like during that time, we saw a lot of true leadership of people who realize it is okay to step back, take a look at what you're doing, take a minute to do it the right way for the right reasons. Then, you know, because we were all, people were still driven by competition when it comes yeah. to startups. So the products may be better or worse, but it was all about, you know, quickly getting to market. So I feel like a lot of good leadership came out of this pandemic, especially in the energy and solar sector, because they really had the time when the world was shut down to figure out what was working because nobody was on the grid. Nobody was out there driving cars, their emissions. I mean, everything was actually growing and blooming, no smog. I mean, they're so smog, but less smog, less pollution because nobody was out doing anything. So was that like a pivotal turning point for you guys to really realize this is the best thing. This is the right way to go. This was a smart decision with Vecta. I mean, was there at that aha moment when you had a chance to actually see how the world was reacting to solar and energy when the human race was locked inside? I think COVID certainly highlighted the the risk of being reliant on these central systems. You know, I think we saw very wow. quickly how quickly entire supply chains, medical systems, all kind of shut down and became real bottlenecks. Yeah. And so yes, it kind of it highlighted it to us the future of energy being more distributed, more flexible, more agile, more sustainable. It's definitely the way to go. And this is a long-term play. You know, this isn't going to be 
one and done in a few years. This is a multi-decade yeah. transformation of how we operate. And so yeah. I think it built in that patience, it built in that understanding, it built in that empathy, all these kind of critical aspects of building a business for the long term versus looking for a quick win. Yeah. How, who's leading? Who do you think is leading this world when it comes to solar and sustainable energy? Because I always think it's New Zealand, probably because they've been the most public about their story. I don't I just every time I feel like I'm watching, you know, who's doing it right. It's always New Zealand at the top of the list. But who do you think's really doing it right? And who really needs to start adapting quicker to where our future is when it comes to sustainable energy? Europe, from a regulatory perspective, has been really leading the charge, but they're now really concerned about the US's Inflation Reduction Act because it's so competitive and it's going to attract a huge amount of talent here and a huge amount of business opportunity. So I think the whole world has been looking to the US to step up and the US wasn't. But in the last you know year or two, that's really changed. Like I mentioned before, Australia's got massive adoption of solar, increasingly amounts of storage. Europe's done a really good job of building out utility scale projects. I think we're going to now see those big utility projects that take five, 10 plus years to design, develop, permit, deploy. They're going to get harder and harder as less and less people want to see them being built in their backyards, you know, the NIMBY approach. And so I think more and more of these smaller flexible systems we'll see resulting from the likes of these incentives that we're seeing. So it's a super exciting time. I think there's a lot of things happening. The cost of technology has come down by for solar and storage by 80% in the last 10 years. So it's become really, you know, really affordable. The incentives make it even more attractive. And the incumbent model of us buying energy from the utility is just, I would say, not the infrastructure we want to be building our businesses and communities of the future on. Yeah. And so all of these things are going to come together to uh, change the dynamics of the industry combined with the fact that Digital technologies are making all of this stuff even more possible through access to data, easy to use apps, enabling technologies. So, yeah. Yeah. But if you look at like, you know, electric cars are now yeah. more and more electric cars and everything because, you know, this gas is getting expensive, the smog. And so they're trying to get more people into the electric cars. I mean, you know, look, regardless of what people think about Elon Musk and Tesla, I mean, he really did innovate and put electric cars on the map yep. and everything, which was tremendous. How do you feel about that? I mean, I know between gas and diesel, am I mistaken? But diesel is cleaner, it lasts longer, and it's better for cars and the environment than normal petroleum. Is that true? I don't know about modern day diesel. It certainly wasn't in the past. I'd say gasoline, I think, is meant to be cleaner and better from for the environment than, than diesel. Yeah. But electric vehicle adoption. I think it's the future, but I don't think we've master planned it in a very purposeful yeah. way. And I think this is the challenge now is that if we want people to adopt electric vehicles, we need to provide them with the infrastructure to be able to charge and manage their asset properly. And the grid just can't handle the level of EV adoption that is planned. And so yeah. that's what needs to change is we need to be able to provide the infrastructure to people to be able to charge their vehicles with clean energy. There's no point in us deploying a bunch of electric vehicles yeah. using coal and gas-fired plants to charge them. That's that's also I mean, not- and, you know, They have the hybrids now as well, part gas, you know, part energy and everything. It's just, I feel like a lot of people I talk to, it's just the whole thing of charging systems everywhere when they're on highways, when they're on road trips. And I feel like 
it's a great idea. It's great for the environment, sustainable. But as the United States, we haven't quite innovated how to handle. I mean, people love the EVs when I talk to them, but they also give me their horror stories of broken down plugs. They don't work in the middle of the road or the highway. And it's not as easy as as just plugging in a battery pack to your cell phone, you know, when you're down. It's an area that we're looking and supporting customers with aggressively because they're looking to electrify their fleet vehicles. They're looking to be able to provide charging infrastructure for their employees. We're going to see regulations driving the fact that X number of car parking spaces will have to be electrified. And so there's going to have to be a huge amount of activity. And I think the more we can simplify that approach, make it super affordable, make it really accessible to the consumer, that has to happen because... Yeah, the last thing you want to be is stranded I'm on the stuck. side of the road trying to figure out how to charge your vehicle. Right. Getting a flat yeah. tire is bad enough in the desert. Yeah. You don't want to be stuck without battery. That's like, so like, are you going to, like, where is the future with Vecta? Are you going to start? I mean, because I feel like this is a, like so fascinating talking to you because it really boils down to education. And you're, I know you're targeting the businesses, the, the bigger industries that need it. But what about like majority of, sustainable living is really the individuals is people and their houses it's everything versus i mean it is it is the companies but it's also the majority is just everyday life of people who don't quite understand it are you guys going to take more of a aggressive stance in educating the public in general right now on this yeah so our mission is to create a thriving future for all you know that's ultimately our our overall mission the reason we're starting with businesses is because they are the biggest energy consumers. No. They've also got the capital to make a very immediate impact to emission reductions. And so we're starting there. We want to unlock and simplify the ability for businesses to adopt these solutions. That will benefit all of us. And then with time and maturity, we'll be able to come down the long curve and ultimately you know, support communities and potentially even residents in the future. But we want to create that profitable, sustainable, and thriving energy future and yeah. do that globally. And we want to be, first of all, the brand that every business in the world thinks about when they think about the energy transition and what their challenges and opportunities could or should be. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a big deal. I feel like you know, we hear a lot about you know people building circular economies, yep. you know, with Bitcoin, crypto, you know, and banking. But I feel like that concept of a circular economy, of keeping the energy in it, moving through it is a brilliant idea for the sector. Yeah. And that's certainly why we want to build out that marketplace infrastructure, because if you can support businesses to competitively source these solutions through a marketplace, then you can start building in that whole circular economy concept of how much energy did it take to build that solar panel or how much water did it consume? And through the likes of blockchain technologies, being able to track where did the products come from? What is their impact? What is the overall lifetime value yeah. of the solution? Does it actually make sense and provide a return on investment to the business and to society as a whole? And so we're on this journey. I think um, we don't have all the answers today, but I think it's a super exciting time for us as a society to really drive this because the technologies do exist, but it's how do we piece them together, remove the red tape, and enable people to do this at scale in, a, in an affordable way. I mean, it's a tremendous industry to lead in. So, I mean, I, it's super impressive what you're doing. Like, where is Vecta's 
future in all of this? Is it evolving to other industries? Is it evolving to better technology, fuel sources, or where do you see the company going right now? And how is that going to affect where we are in the next five years? Yeah. Awesome question. So we build a marketplace infrastructure. So we've got the ability today to support businesses to source whatever solution they want. What we are actively building right now and releasing and selling to customers, which will scale and grow and really help even unlock the market even more, is our SaaS product that allows businesses to baseline, where am I today? How much energy do I use? Where do I use it? What's my emissions? How much could I be paying if I do nothing? And then helping them really design their energy transition strategy over the next 10, 20, 30 years, and then track their progress against that as they deploy the solutions, being able to report internally, manage stakeholder approvals, all these kind of key aspects of getting buy-in from all the people who need to be involved in these business decisions. So that's how the product's maturing is we're realizing that the industry and business leaders need more and more education, more and more insights, more and more simplification. And so we're partnering with some of the biggest brands in the world, like Honeywell and Raytheon and Blue Scope Steel and several big mining companies, uh, car manufacturers. Let's all go on this journey together. And yeah. we, we love to learn. We love to improve. And we're, we're very open to critical feedback. Nice. So what was like the biggest, before you wrap up, tell me what, what was the biggest like challenge or hurdle you had getting this company started? Certainly trying to build a team remotely through COVID initially was a challenge. And then I'd say fundraising for a... I knew it. For a business model that is new to the energy sector. You know, no one's built a marketplace for the energy yeah. sector before. Using software to unlock an industry that's been doing what it's done for the last 100 years and no one challenging it. So I'd say to try and find the right investors initially. Now we've got some amazingly aligned, very strategic investors like TechSquared Ventures, Earth, CoFund, and then one of the biggest energy engineering firms in the world, Wally. They saw how we're disrupting traditional consulting and engineering world. And so they're investors as well. That's where I came out of. So We've got the right network around us, but it was certainly a graph. The first fundraiser I did, I probably pitched to over 150 different businesses. Yeah. Uh, got, got lots of no's, maybes, come back later, but it, it all paid off. And Yeah, that's the problem with startups. It's regard, I mean, regardless of the industry, you have it's like that Starbucks story where the CEO... Yeah was told about 500 times, no, it's stupid. And he was refused to give up until the 500 and like one or 502 person finally said, okay, let's yeah. go, this makes sense. It's just, it's just that leadership and keeping it together long enough before somebody believes in the same dream. So I mean, I know it's super hard with startups, yeah. but it's super impressive because like you said, if it is a tough industry. It's a, you know, it's not intangible, it's just energy. It's solar. So what you're doing is important to the future. So, I mean, I love that you got the company funded and you guys are working in the space right now. It's, it's amazing. So where are you guys located? Are you guys, it doesn't matter anymore. I know a lot of people are talking about, they don't want to go back to work. They're set yep. in their ways. They don't want to do the whole in the office. It's becoming a bigger, I just feel like there's always a controversy. It's never easy. We, you yep. can't come in the office. But now you don't want to be in the office because you're adapting to a more quality of life. And then we know we want you back in the office, but part time. But no, you now you have to be in the office. But now, no, I don't want to be because I could do better work from home. I mean, it's just it's so 
funny. Like, I feel like this is just like an ongoing saga of how people re- work remotely. And I feel like from what you said, if I have a huge company, hundreds of people, thousands of people, if they want to work remote, still do quality work, still connected, yeah. my energy bills go down because look at the sustainability. Do I want to power a building and go through all of this for just to have people in the office I'll never see or talk to? Or do I really want to lower my revenues, lower my out-of-pockets, increase our revenues because you're more effective from home? And like you said yeah. earlier, I don't have sky-high electric bills and pumps supporting and staffing and powering an entire building. So I, I just laugh when I when we talk about this because I'm seeing both sides of this right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we've taken the approach of remote first, but what we do is we get together as a team every four to six months, yeah. rent a, an entire kind of house and all come together and we're very values driven. So we it's all about challenging limits, adapting purposefully, empowering co-creation. So we live by those values all the time. We've got a core team that's locally based in San Diego, but we come together in the office once every nice. two weeks. Are you talking to the commercial industry? Because, you know, they're building these monster buildings, a lot of commercial buildings, because a lot of property, a lot of people are buying, snapped up real estate right after and during COVID. Isn't there something to be said about hitting these commercial contractors and commercial agents before they start building? So they're building more sustainable buildings? Or is that just so like between the politics and the revenues and the money and the land and the legalities, is it just too much for them to like grasp the concept or is because I feel like that is where we start from the ground up. There's so yep. much building, but they're not building things sustainable and taking the measures, which is weird to me, given where we are like in this stage of life, you know, where we were five years ago, 10 years ago, where we are now, I would think that would be their primary focus. How do you put up a high rise or communities, buildings, houses, why are we not automatically making that a mandate to build better sustainable living and office buildings? But no, we're still not doing that. Is that education, politics, red tape or? Yeah, some states are now starting to mandate that all new properties will have to have solar or storage. So we're starting to see that for any new builds. We're starting to see in the likes of New York, you know, they won't support gas appliances. So everything will have to be electrified, which will really change the way the grid has to drop. So we're starting to see some really positive kind of influences on that. Yeah, I think uh, politics is a really interesting one because, you know, we're seeing right now pushback in the likes of Texas towards banks that support ESG funds. And yet Texas has some of the biggest adoption of wind and solar and they've created an amazing industry around it and they've generated a huge amount of jobs. And so I think that, you know, to the very first comment, I think... When people take off their political hats, if we can realize that we can achieve profitability and sustainability at the same time, and we we shouldn't be sacrificing one for the other, but that means we need to prioritize projects that will have the greatest return on investment for all of us. And so the more we can do that, either through regulations, but really economics speaks the loudest, you know, people see dollars and cents. And if we can show them that, then I think we, we win. I love it. I love it. Profitability and sustainability all at once. It is a doable combination. It's just going to take education and having more of an open mind to adapt to where the future is going. But I love that that is your base. You can still be have sustainability and profitability. You don't have to sacrifice one for the other. 
That's right. Huge push through in the industry. Such an exciting topic that I know little about, but it's so fascinating. I absolutely love talking to you. Where can people find you? Where's a good place to find you and Vecta? Yeah, so Vecta, www.vecta.com, V-E-C-K-T-A. Um, for myself, LinkedIn, Twitter are the biggest spots. But yeah, Gareth Evans. If you look up Gareth Evans at Vecta, you'll find me. And I like doing regular vlogs and blogs and I'm pretty pretty active on social media. So reach out, hang out. That's uh, This takes all of us. So Empower Co-Creation is kind of key to all of this. Perfect. Empowering Co-Creation. It's so awesome to have you on the show, Gareth. Definitely keep us posted. We'd love to check back with you, see where we are now. And then, you know, end of the year, if we've seen any movement in the power grid, but it was awesome having you on the show. This is Sarah Miller with Gareth Evans at Vecta. We'll see everybody next week. Cheers, Sarah. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.